But we've been in a series for the last month called Overcome It. Overcome It. And while the people all around us, all over the world, seem to be just over everything right now, we're called to be something different. We're not called to just be over it. We're called to overcome it through the power of Jesus Christ. Our theme verse for this series is in John chapter 16, verse 33. And this is what Jesus said there. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, the Christ who has overcome the world is the same Christ that is living in you. He's not, he's not just sitting in heaven detached from you. The Bible says that he has taken up residence in your heart when you've received him by faith. And if he has overcome the world, listen, that means that you and I are called to overcome the world as well. It's built into our DNA as children of God. We are made to overcome whatever the enemy or the world throws our way. And in the first couple of weeks of this series, we talked about how to overcome the world and everything uh, that's going on in our world today. And let me just encourage you. I, I believe those messages are messages that we need to hold on to uh, because of what we are facing in our world. I, you know, if you're over it, you probably don't know about this. But if you're not over it, maybe you're tracking that there's this new thing called monkeypox now. And I mean, it's like we get over one thing and then here comes another thing, right? And I just feel like, I just feel like it, we, we're in a season where things are just going to keep hitting us. And listen to me, we are called to overcome whatever it is. Whatever we're facing in this world, we're called to be an overcomer uh, because Jesus has already overcome the world. And then last week, we talked about how to overcome our past, and uh, we experienced an incredible move of God last week. It was just a powerful service, and if you missed that, let me just encourage you uh, to go online this week and watch that service on YouTube or listen to it on our podcast. Uh, but this week, as we continue our series, I want to talk about something that is crucial for living our lives as an overcomer. Today, I want to talk about overcoming in our thinking. I want to talk about overcoming our thinking. You will never live the life God has called you to live until you win the battle in your mind. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word today. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we give you praise because your presence is here, God. You're a way maker, and you're already in this room, Lord. And we thank you for that. We acknowledge your presence. Now, Father, I pray that as your word goes forth, that your Holy Spirit would go forth in power to accomplish what you want to do in our hearts today, God. I pray that this word would take root in our hearts, Lord, and it would produce a harvest of righteousness, that we would become more like Jesus, God, that there would be a transformation that would take place today in our hearts and in our minds because we've heard from you. And we thank you and give you praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. Well, I want you to look at a verse of scripture with me that's a very interesting verse for where we're going today. It's Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And, uh, and let me just say, I knew, I knew where I wanted to go in this series, and I knew I wanted to talk about overcoming in your thinking today. But uh, as I got into this, the Lord just put me on a whole different path. And I'm just telling you right now that this is not what I would have planned, but I believe this is what the Lord has for us today. Uh, and, and so I, I really believe he's going to speak to us. But this scripture in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, this is what it says. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
And this message that Jesus preaches here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the message that we will see him continue to preach throughout his ministry on the earth. According to Matthew, these words, kingdom of heaven, they come out of Jesus' mouth in one form or another a total of 35 times in the 28 chapters of the book of Matthew. He used these words, kingdom of heaven, when he preached to the crowds on the mountainside. He used these words, kingdom of heaven, when he taught in parables. He used them when he called his disciples. He used them when he sparred with the Pharisees. He spoke them when he cleansed the lepers and when he opened the eyes of the blind. Jesus was a traveling evangelist who came to preach a message, and this was his message. This was his gospel. The kingdom of heaven has come to where you are. There is a shift that's happened in the atmosphere all around you. Heaven has invaded the earth, and now everything is different. And you have to understand, up until the moment, When John the Baptist and Jesus showed up on the scene in the Gospels, there had been 400 years of silence in Israel. There had not been one prophet. There had not been one book written. Not one word from the Lord went forth. And Jesus arrived on the scene with a message when he said, heaven has come to where you are. It was a message that God is indeed with us, that he has not left us to simply fend for ourselves, that he hasn't washed his hands of humanity and abandoned us into the hands of evil men. This message signified a release of heaven's plan for the earth, and it's called the plan of salvation. It was a revealing of the answer that humanity had been looking for and longing for so for so long. Standing before humankind was a man declaring a message that he was the savior of the world come down from heaven to save. That's what he came to do and that's what he got to work doing as soon as he showed up on the scene. And as Jesus preached this message of the kingdom, what's interesting as you read the gospels is that the signs of the authority of his kingdom began to appear everywhere that he went. Light began to chase darkness out. Grace and mercy confronted sin and shame. Miracles broke out with even the smallest measure of faith. Healing began to overwhelm sickness and disease. Freedom brought release to the imprisoned and the enslaved. Life conquered death and victory triumphed over the grave. The kingdom of heaven showed up everywhere that the kingdom was declared. But here in Matthew chapter 4, this is the first time that we see these words, kingdom of heaven, show up anywhere in the scripture. And what's interesting is that they are the first recorded words of Jesus, according to Matthew, after he was tempted in the wilderness by the devil for 40 days. He overcame the enemy out there in the wilderness. He overcame the temptations to give in to humanness and human desires. He overcame all of that, and then he set out declaring a message that we can overcome him as well. He preached the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's a life-altering, world-changing message. I want you to understand that. If somebody tells you heaven has come to where you are, that means that something is different in the atmosphere where you live. Something has shifted. But now check this out. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the word that Jesus speaks before he declares the kingdom has come is the word repent. It's repent. 
And I think that uh, most of us probably think that we have a good understanding of what that word repent means. We probably think to repent means to ask for forgiveness uh, for our sins. Or maybe when we think of the word repent, we think of uh, asking for uh, forgiveness for our behavior uh, because we've been misbehaving. Or maybe it's because we've treated someone badly and we want to repent. We want to change the way we've been acting. And those are good and important descriptions of this action word of repentance. That is, they're biblical. That is absolutely part of what repentance means. But the word used here in this text, in Matthew chapter 4, Verse uh, 17, and everywhere where Jesus preaches this, the word is a little bit different because repent here in the Greek is the word metanoia, which simply means to think differently. It means to change the way you've been thinking. Here's the point. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, because the kingdom of heaven has come near to you, that kingdom, if you're going to be a part of it, is going to require you to have a change, to experience a change in your thinking. In order for you to fully grasp what heaven come to earth means for you, it will require you to repent and change the way that we think. The kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the kingdom, invites us to think about things differently. In fact, it demands it. The problem is, changing our thinking is one of the most difficult things we could ever attempt to do. Here's why. Our thinking works in patterns, and patterns are hard to break. We're creatures of habit, and we actually develop habits in the way that we think about things and the way that we process information. And those habits, once they are repeated over time, they create patterns of thinking. Some of you, if you, if you were to be honest and look back over the course of your life, you would see that every time you kind of go into a crisis, a pattern of thinking kicks in and you stay in this cycle. And you work through that one and then it comes again and again. Your pattern of thinking kicks in and the cycle repeats itself. It's a pattern of thinking because you've, you've created a habit of thinking about certain things. And don't get me wrong, not all patterns of thinking are bad. We can have good patterns of thinking as well. But most of us, when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, yes, I want to be a part of your kingdom, we've already developed some bad habits in our thinking. We've already created some patterns in our thought life that do not serve us well in our new kingdom reality. Let me show you what I mean. Paul dealt with this in the book of Ephesians. And when he wrote this book of Ephesians, he was not writing to the unbeliever. He was writing to Christians. He was writing to those that were a part of the church in the town of Ephesus. But these Christians were struggling in their minds and in their thought life because while their souls had been redeemed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there were some hindering thought patterns that still remained and needed to be dealt with. So Paul addresses it in Ephesians. And look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This is what Paul writes. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And so what Paul is doing here is he's describing the old life, the life that we lived before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. He's describing what our thought life, what our thought patterns 
were like. And he's not just describing our old way of life here. He's also describing the way people who are far from God live their lives in our world today. According to Paul, they're being driven by a spirit who is not from God. And that spirit is pushing them further and further into a depth of deception. And as people follow the flow of the world, they're being driven to destruction by the enemy of our souls. And he says to the Ephesian believers, that's how you used to live too. Don't forget that. Don't forget that you haven't always been saved. Don't forget that there are people in the world out there who don't think about things the way that you do. But he reminds us in these verses that the thinking patterns of someone who does not know Jesus and is far from God is very different than someone who is saved. And he goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, if you read it, and he talks about what happens when we make a decision to come into the kingdom and we make a decision to say yes to Jesus by faith. He talks about how salvation is an act of God's great love for us, how it's a through grace that we've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And it had nothing to do with our works. And and now because we've been born again, we've been recreated into the very image of Jesus Christ. We've been given a new hope and a new future because we've come into relationship with him. It's a wonderful uh, passage of scripture there in Ephesians chapter 2. But then he comes back a few chapters later and he says something really interesting in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. And he says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, when he was talking about the thinking before and he was like, that's who you used to be. But now he's come back a couple of chapters later and he's saying, I need you to quit thinking the way that the world thinks. I need you to break out of the futility of your thinking and the pattern that leads to futility. Paul is telling them, you're saved. There's no question about that. But you've got to think about the way that you think. You've got to think about the way that your mind is working. And you've got to bring your thoughts into submission to Christ. Because some of you are still stuck in a pattern of thinking that is incompatible with the kingdom that you now belong to. And I think what he's talking about is the way that you think about the world that you live in, the way that you think about your past and what you've gone through. We talked a lot about that last week. It's the way that you think about your current struggles. It's the way you process what happens when opposition comes at you. He's saying, break out of that pattern of thought like the world is against you. Who cares if the world is against you? Because Jesus is for you. He's called you to be more than a conqueror. I need you to break out of this pattern where you go down every time the world begins to push on you a little bit. It's changing the way you think about God. And his relationship to you. It's changing the way you think about your future. My Bible tells me that he's got a hope and a plan for me, a future to prosper me, a future that is good. You need to start thinking about your life the way that God thinks about you and break yourself out of this pattern that you used to live in. You can't keep thinking about the things the way that the world thinks about them. You need to embrace the mind of the Spirit and learn to overcome in your thinking if you're going to go into your next level, into that next level with your relationship with God. He tells them in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, he says, listen, you've got to be made new in the attitude of your mind. That's where the change needs to happen. You're saved. Your soul is redeemed. You are on your way to heaven. There's no question about that. But your mind, your thinking, God wants to do a work there. And see, you can't continue to think the same way you used to. The kingdom of heaven has come to you. 
That's what God has done for you. He's brought the kingdom to where you are. But Jesus said in response to the kingdom coming to where you are, you should repent. You should change your thinking. And you know, it's funny. Jesus never does that part for us. The repentance part is always up to us. It's always our decision. It's always our, our choice to repent, to respond to God. You remember the story of the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, and they were ready to stone her to death. You remember that story? And Jesus stepped into that moment, and he literally saved her life. But then what did he say to her? He said, now go and sin no more. You've got a decision to make based on the grace you've received now. The kingdom of heaven came to where you are, and it literally caught rocks and kept them from hitting you. Now, how are you going to respond to that? Go and sin no more. The, the change that would serve her well in her future was dependent on her willingness to repent and receive the grace of the Lord in her life, to change the way that she thinks, to embrace a new way of living. And that's the same mandate for all of us. At some point, we've got to make a decision in response to the kingdom that has come, in response to the grace that Jesus offers, we've got to make a decision on how we're going to respond. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is a powerful scripture. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, we all want God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, don't we? We all want that. It's the repenting part. That's the hard part. And here's why repenting is hard. Repenting is hard because repenting requires us to overcome a pattern of thinking that has developed over time in our minds. If you're going to overcome, if you're going to change the way you think about God and his kingdom, you've got to repent. You've got to have a change of thinking. And these habits and patterns of thinking are hard to break because they are typically very deeply entrenched in us. Our thinking is a product of several influences. One is our past. Our patterns are products of our past. It's what we've seen, what we've gone through, and what we've learned. See, for every experience, there's something that we learn. There's something that we take away, either consciously or subconsciously, and it's either constructive or destructive. Our thinking patterns are products of our past. And because we can't go back and change our past, it becomes really difficult for us to change the thinking patterns that we developed as a result of our past. Are you guys following me? I want you to think about your upbringing for a moment. Think about your parents or, or some major influence uh, that you had in your childhood. Think about the way that you grew up. Think about the things that you began to believe early on in life. Some of you can identify faulty thinking patterns and habits that began to show up and even dominate your life, and they did not start when you were 24, graduating from college and getting started in your life. I said 24, I probably should have said 28 or 29. I think that's getting pushed back further and further these days. Our, our poor children. But most of the time, that faulty, that faulty thinking, that thinking that you have about yourself and about your situation, they, they started when you were very young. You can easily trace them back to voices of influence in your life, whether it be a parent or a teacher or a friend or a coach. While I had many wonderful influences in my life, early in life, I learned from a coach that I had that I had to perform in order to be accepted. 
And it was a lie that I believed. And listen, it took me years to overcome that lie. I sat out in life trying to perform, trying to gain approval, trying to gain acceptance because that's what I thought I had to do to win. I also learned how to mask my shame, hide behind lies and a veil of deception. Those were toxic things that I learned from influences in my life at a very early age. We learn to think and process early in life. We develop patterns of thinking that look eerily similar to our parents and to our other influential voices. And if they had unresolved issues in their life, if they had hurts that were not healed, if they had sin that they refused to deal with, they most likely unknowingly probably taught us how to think and process and cope in the same way. And in order to overcome in our thinking, we may have to break ourselves out of a thinking pattern that is tied to our past. And I'm just going to tell you, that is a lifetime of work. It's difficult. You have to re-examine, you have to reimagine, you have to reassess, you have to reevaluate, and then you have to do it all over again. It's a lot of work. Another factor in our thinking could be something in our presence, something like the people we surround ourselves with, our relationships. Our patterns are not just products of our past, they're also products of our people. And I want you to think about the people that you're doing life with right now, the people that you're in relationship with presently. The people that you've given a place of influence in your life. You've gone to them for advice. You've made a decision to model some part of your life after them. They have some degree of influence in your life. What they say and what they do has an impact on your own thinking. There's someone that um, I was working with recently that was going through a, a, a marital crisis. They were going through a very difficult situation and uh, as I began to try and help this person, I, I, I found out who they were going to for advice. And I was like, man, their life is a train wreck. Why in the world would you be leaning in to, to someone who, who is living like far from God? Why would you take advice from somebody like that? The Bible says to find somebody with a crown of wisdom upon their head and go to them for advice. That's what a wise person would do. Go to somebody who's living for Jesus. Go to somebody who loves the Lord. Don't go to somebody who is living crazy out there. And when you take advice from people, you open up your mind and you give them influence over the way that you think and process over things. Paul asked the Galatian believers in Galatians chapter 5, he said, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and got in the way of you obeying the truth? See, there's always a who. There's always a person who gets in the way. You're running a good race. You're, do, you're living for Jesus. You're, you're, going, you're going great. Everything's working really well. And somebody gets in your way with a bad word, with a bad word of advice. Who persuaded you to take that wrong advice or that wrong approach? He said that kind of persuasion did not, call, did not come from the one who called you. And see, who we hang out with matters. This is why Paul admonishes those who are in Christ Jesus to not be yoked together with unbelievers. Their way of thinking and living is contrary to the way of Christ that we should be walking in. And I've heard this uh, passage uh, mistaught and mispreached and misapplied my whole life. Paul is not saying that we should disassociate with unbelievers entirely. That's, that's totally contrary to the gospel. We have a mandate to tell people who are far from God about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do that if you distance yourself from everybody who doesn't live the way that you live. Come on. 
What Paul is saying by don't be yoked together is don't give them a place of influence in your life. You be the leader in that relationship, not the follower. You lead that relationship by leading them to follow Jesus, not the other way around. And the people we choose to spend our time with, they have the, they have the power and the influence to shape and mold our lives. And they have a huge effect on the patterns of our thinking. Our thinking patterns are hard to break because they're products of our past and products of our people. And here's another one. Our patterns can be difficult to break because they're products of our culture. What we're taking in. You know the culture we're living in is actively trying to influence your thinking, right? You do know that. That's because there is, as Paul says it in Ephesians 2, there is a spirit of this age behind what we're seeing in our world and in our culture. Think about it just for a moment. Think about the music that we listen to. What's the message in the music? The movies that we watch, the TV, even the news that we watch, the internet. Come on, there's an agenda to almost all of that. I was just, um, just a few weeks ago found out about something called the Disney leak. Did you guys hear about this? It was a leaked Zoom call where a bunch of Disney creatives were talking about how they are working, uh, they are working to put a message into everything that they're putting out there, everything for our kids. They're, they're, they're working to find places to put a message of, uh, of identity is your choice and gender is your choice and you can, you can decide what you want to be. And they're working to put that message in Disney programming. It was in their own words. I recently found out about an elementary school just outside of Fort Collins, Colorado, where a mom found out that her child, again, in elementary school, had a, had a meeting with someone who came and told them that, uh, that their gender was their decision and their identity was up to them. And, and they told them all about sex. They got graphic with it. And here's the kicker. Then they told this elementary school student not to tell their parents. Don't tell your parents about this conversation. I'm telling you that there is a message being sent in our culture today. And we've got to be aware of it. This is no time for us to just be over it and stick our head in the sand or to aimlessly just follow the crowd because the crowd is on their way to destruction. And there's a certain way that they want us to think about things. They want us to embrace patterns of thinking. And if you look at what we see in our world today, it's, it's always one of three things. It's self-gratification, self-glorification, or self-deprivation. It is all about you and nothing about God. This is how Paul describes the thinking patterns of this world in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Watch this. With a continual lust for more. Now, I think that hits the nail on the head. That is our culture today. They're trying to drive us off a cliff. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 that their God is their stomach and their destiny is destruction. That's where they're headed. So let me ask you, just look around you. What is this thinking patterned after the ways of this world produce for us? In our nation, as we have increasingly turned away from God, what have we gained from that as a society? 
What have we accomplished? It's nothing good. And I want to remind you that Jesus outed the enemy behind this way of thinking in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Then he said, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. One of these ways is leading you to destruction. The other way is going to lead you to eternal life, but you've got to make a decision on which way you're going to go. And I believe it's time for the church to stand against the push and the pull of the culture because there is nothing that this world has to offer that compares with the goodness of God. And it's time for us to take a stand and boldly declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen. Amen. We will not bow down to the idols of this world. We will not bow down to the gods of this world. We will not, we will not cower and in fear and give in to the enemy. We will stand and we will see the deliverance of our God. But between our learned past and our relationships with others and the influence of the culture around us, our thinking patterns become deeply entrenched in us, and it's very difficult to break ourselves out of it. And it definitely doesn't happen automatically. I wish that your thinking uh, miraculously changed the moment you decided to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. I wish that that was the case, but that, that, that's not the case. If you read the book of Romans, what you find, what you find is that the battle in your mind really doesn't even begin until the moment you get saved. It's a process. So what can we do? How can we actually train our brains to think differently and overcome in our thinking? Well, I believe the Lord gave me some revelation on this this week in my study time, and I want to share a few thoughts with you on that today that I believe will help you break out of the pattern of your thinking and overcome the thinking that has entrenched itself in your minds. And before I get into it, I want you to look one more time at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Look at the scripture again. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the do not conform part of this verse, that is the repent part. That's what Jesus was saying with his first message that he preached on the earth. Repent. Metanoia. That's the message of Jesus. Initiate a change in your thinking away from the patterns that have been established in your mind. That's the first step. But then he goes on. The scripture says, and be transformed by this process called the renewing of your mind. And I want to give you three things today that I believe create transformation and renewal in our minds. And it all has to do with the word of God. The first one is if you want to break out of that pattern is you need to hear the word. You need to hear the word. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to experience transformation in your way of thinking, you've got to get the word in you. You've got to get into the word and you've got to let the word get in you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 says, And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Now, the Greek wording in this verse is very powerful because Paul uses a word here where it says at work in English. The word is at work in you. That Greek word is the word energizo. 
It's where we get the word energizing or energy from. He's saying when you heard the word of God and you chose to receive it, the word immediately went to work on the inside of you and it created an energy, a work of transformation. It began a work of repentance, a changing in the way that you think. It began breaking the patterns of thinking that you had been living under and creating new patterns fashioned after the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Putting yourself in proximity to hear and receive the word of God is important because this word of God, this Bible that we preach from, this is not like any other book. This word has the power to change and transform our lives because it it is the revealed word of God himself. Now that shouldn't surprise you if you've read the Bible at all. You remember probably Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. That says, for the word of God is living and active. That means that it's working. Listen to me. Every time you hear it, it's working. Every time you pick it up to read it, it's working. Every time you listen to a podcast that has the word of God in it, that word is working in you. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Watch this. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, you don't just read the Word of God. The Word of God reads you. It gets into you and it goes to work. The Scripture says it judges the thoughts. What does that mean? The Word of God begins to judge your thinking patterns, the way you're processing things. The Word of God gets in you and works on your attitude. What does that mean? It's your belief systems. Your thoughts are your thinking patterns. Your attitudes are your belief systems. And what was it that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23? Do you remember? He said, you must be made new in the attitude of your minds. And see, that's what the scripture does. That's why we've got to put ourselves in position to hear the word. It confronts our thinking patterns. And it confronts the attitudes that have become established in our thinking. And it exposes them for what they really are by exposing them to the word of truth that came straight from God's word. And it's only against the backdrop of truth that we can see ourselves for how we truly are. If you are only comparing yourself to what you see out there in the world, you're going to get a picture that is not accurate. You need to compare your life and your thinking against the Word of God, and that will show you the true picture. That's what the Bible does. It, it, it goes to work in us. We see ourselves as we truly are. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5. This is what Paul writes there. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The Scripture reveals who, who is really behind our thinking patterns? Is it flesh or is it spirit? You don't know that until you get into the word of God. Now look at verse 6. Paul says the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. The mind of the Spirit is simply a mind that has come into submission to the Word of God. It is hearing it and saying yes and amen to what the Word of God says. It is a mind that has come into submission to God's Word. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, verse 32. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will will set you free. 
Here's what Jesus is saying. Freedom from faulty thinking patterns. Freedom in your thought processes. Thinking differently is the direct result of exposure to what? To his teaching found in the word of God. He says, when you hear my word, that's where real discipleship happens. Listen, you're not being discipled just because you go to church. You are discipled when you hold on to the word of truth. You're discipled when you hold on to the teaching of God's word. It's where truth is revealed. That's where freedom is found. And if we want to confront our patterns of thinking, it starts with hearing the word. And when I say hear the word, I'm talking about reading the word. I'm talking about meditating on the word. I'm talking about you making time for the word of God to get in you. But it doesn't stop there. We also have to make the decision to believe the word. If you want to break out of faulty thinking patterns, you need to hear the word and then you need to believe the word. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that come to church week after week and the word goes forth, but it goes right over their head or it goes in one ear and out the other and it never takes root in their heart. Jesus talked about that in the gospels. He says sometimes there's seed that's thrown on the ground like it should be, but things get in the way, things happen and keep you from believing that word. The power of the word of God To work in your life is tied to your belief of that word. That's why Jesus said, my true disciples hold to my teaching. And he didn't say they hear my teaching. See, there were a lot of people who heard Jesus preach. They heard the message of the kingdom, but very few of them held to it. There's a difference between the disciples and the crowds. And the difference is they believed what Jesus was saying so much so that they left everything to follow him. They responded to the word in faith. That's how you know you've believed the word. You've responded to it in faith. And this is exactly what the scripture is referring to in James chapter 1 verse 22. Look at that scripture. James chapter 1 verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The Greek wording there for look intently in verse 25 means to lead in close. It's to get close to the word that you've heard. It's, it's literally to put your hands on either side of it and fix your gaze upon it. It's what David was talking about in the Psalms when he says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. To believe the word that you've heard is to activate the word by faith. And a mind that has been exposed to the word of God And receive that word by faith. Listen to me. It cannot stay the same. It is impossible for you to hear the word and believe the word and put it into practice in your life. And for you to walk away forgetting what you look like in Christ Jesus. This is where transformation happens. This is the key to freedom. It's hearing the word and receiving the word. Believing that word. And when we say yes to what the Lord is saying to us through his word. We say yes to his thinking towards us. When we say yes to the word of God, we force our thoughts to come into alignment with his thoughts towards us. A good friend of mine just released an incredible book called Stuck in the Wrong Story. It's such a powerful book. It's amazing. I would definitely encourage you to get a copy and read it. But she made this statement in one of the chapters. 
and it's based right off of this, this uh, verse in, in James chapter 1. She said, you don't get what you want, you get what you believe. And what you believe results in what you behold. See, when you behold the word of God or look intently into it, you begin to believe what that word of God says about you. And then what do you get according to what James wrote in, in James chapter 1? He said, you get freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from thinking patterns that have bogged you down. It's the same thing Jesus told us in John chapter 8. When you hold to my teaching, then you're truly my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free. See, that's what happens. You look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. You look intently. You behold the word of God. And it creates a pathway for your mind to follow. First, it brings freedom to faulty thinking patterns that don't line up with God's word. It brings your mind into alignment. And then James took it a step further. And then he said, and then you're going to be blessed in all that you do. What you behold, you will believe. And what you believe, you will become. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 said this. It says, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does that mean? It's saying what we, we become, what we behold. And when we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed by that same glory. We cannot stay the same. What I'm doing here is giving you the process for transformation in your mind. I'm telling you how to renew your mind today. There's three things tied to the Word of God that will help you overcome faulty thinking. Number one, you got to hear the Word. Number two, you got to believe the Word. And here's the third thing you got to declare the Word. You got to declare the Word. We actually see this divine blueprint all through the Scripture. Hearing the word, believing the word, and then declaring the word that we've believed, declaring it out loud. There's an enormous power when you release and declare the word of God spoken over your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 says this. It says, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Now, if you think about it, it's very natural for you to say out loud the things that you think. My kids do this all the time. Literally, this is what they do all day, every day. They just run around just saying everything that comes in their mind to say. They are intimidated by moments of silence. I've gotten to the place in my life where there's nothing greater to me than sitting in a quiet room with no noise. It's a beautiful thing. But the thing is, when you say out loud what it is you're thinking... Your voice then reinforces your thought patterns and belief systems. They literally feed off of one another. So here's why declaring the word helps you overcome in your thinking. Declaring the word of the Lord over your life and over your situations, it breaks you out of a pattern of thinking that is not in line with the word of God, and it forces your brain to make a decision on what it will align itself with, flesh or spirit world or kingdom. When you hear the word and it confronts your belief system, you're in a position now to repent, to change your thinking. You don't get there until you expose yourself to the word of God. And there's something about hearing yourself declare the word over your life that causes your brain to hear and respond in faith. 
There is actually earth-altering power in the spoken word of God. We see it all through the scripture. The Bible says that God spoke and there was. He literally created the world and everything in it with the power of his word. It says that he sent forth his word and healed their diseases. Scripture says that his word will go forth from his mouth and it will not return to him void. It will accomplish what he sent it out to do. And when we declare out loud what we've heard and what we believe, when you declare the word of the Lord, the spirit goes forth in power to accomplish his word concerning your life. You declaring it out loud gives that word legs in your life. It gives it momentum in your life. It gives it energy. This is what the Lord spoke to me this week in prayer. He said, declarations create pathways. Declarations create pathways. And some of you are stuck in the cycle of thinking and living because every day what you're doing is you're repeating the lies that you've heard from the enemy over and over and over again in your life. You keep hearing that voice, that liar, and you keep repeating that. And what you speak is what you believe. And what you're saying is reinforcing those belief systems. And what you speak is creating the pathway that your life is taking. But I want you to look at what the scripture says in Psalms chapter 119 verses 105. This is what it looks like to speak the word of God over your life. David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you want to travel a different pathway, listen to me, speak a different word. You can create a new pathway and a new pattern in your thinking by declaring the word of the Lord over your life over and over and over again. Some of you need to wake up every morning before you do anything else. You need to find a mirror and you need to tell yourself what the word of God declares over your life because you've heard the lies of the enemy so long, you've come to believe them and you can't imagine that life can be anything different. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. When the kingdom of heaven shows up, your life will not be the same anymore. It changes. It's transformed. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says the tongue has the power of life and death. And listen, I fully believe this church because I've lived it out in my own life. You can speak blessings over your life and you'll be blessed in what you do. Or you can speak curses over your life that will keep you bogged down and stuck in the same cycle of defeat. Your words activate your thinking and it creates a pathway that your feet will follow. What's coming out of your mouth? What are you saying? Think about the ministry of Jesus. There was authority when he opened his mouth and spoke. He didn't just think a thing. He declared a thing. He didn't think, boy, I wish those demons would leave that poor guy alone. Boy, I wish that woman could get free from that infirmity. He didn't think those things. He commanded with his mouth and demons obeyed. He commanded with his mouth and sickness left. And before you say, well, wait a minute, pastor, that's Jesus. Of course he could do that. But, but, but that's Jesus and not us. We can't do that. Well, Matthew chapter 10 says that Jesus himself gave us that same authority, the authority of the kingdom, the authority. He sent his disciples out. He gave them authority and he sent them out. And you know what he told them to do? Go to every town you come to and cast out every demon you come into contact with and drive out every sickness, bring healing, put your 
your hands on the sick and their sick bodies are going to be made well. How does that happen? He gave them authority. You've got the same authority within you. You can open your mouth and things begin to happen where you show up and declare kingdom. The kingdom of God comes in power. Sickness can't stay. Disease can't stay. Brokenheartedness has to be healed. Your past is forgiven because you preach and declare the kingdom of God. And when heaven comes down to earth, there's a shift in the atmosphere. And it comes with the declaration of that kingdom. Everywhere the kingdom was declared, the kingdom showed up. Pastor Bill Johnson said this recently. He said, we take dysfunction and give it a virtuous name and give it permission to stay. What if instead of giving faulty thinking patterns permission to dominate our lives, we took our authority in Jesus Christ and we commanded dysfunction in our thinking to leave in Jesus' name? How different would your life be? The scripture says we have not because we ask not. I believe it's time for the people of God to stop letting our own thinking bog us down and keep us out of God's best for our lives. If it's in his word, it's got your name on it. If you can hear it and you choose to believe it, when you speak it out of your mouth, the Spirit of God goes forth in power and begins to work through you and in you. I want the band to come as we get ready to close. And as they come, I want to show you one more verse of Scripture. That's so powerful. And I'm telling you, this was not the direction I was planning on going today. I was not planning on talking about declarations changing our thinking patterns, but I know this is the word of the Lord today. This is a revelation that you need to grab hold of, and you need to participate in it. You need to operate in it. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Now it was Jesus' message. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And we've got authority in his name. He goes on, he says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Now this is what I want you to understand. A lot of you, the pattern of thinking that you're stuck in is actually the voice of the accuser that you've been tuned into. And you've got that voice on repeat. And it's the voice you hear in your mind over and over and over and over again. And that's why you are stuck in a cycle that you can't break out of. You hear that voice every day of your life, always accusing you, always belittling you, always attacking you, always questioning you. And you feel this every day. The Bible says he accused them day and night. That voice never stops. How do you turn it off in your head? Well, we find out in verse 11. Look at this. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, and watch this, and the word of their testimony. See, when I tell you that what you speak out of your mouth has enormous power, the Bible backs that up. It's so true. With the word of your mouth, the word of your testimony, that's how you overcome the voice of the accuser. That's how you overcome the accusations that are on repeat in your mind. That's how you overcome the lies of the enemy. That's how you overcome the patterns of thinking that have become entrenched in you. That's how you break out of that prison in your mind and come into kingdom living. It is with you opening your mouth 
and declaring who you know you are in Christ Jesus. It silences the voice of the accuser. It shuts him off. It shuts him down and it sets you free. Come on and stand with me all across the room today. Breaking out of a prison in your thinking and breaking into kingdom living. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's what he wants to do for you. It's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 where the Bible says he wants to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. There is no limit to his power at work within you. What if the thing limiting you is your own thinking? It's your own mindset. It's that pattern you can't break out of. I believe what the Lord is trying to show us today is a very practical way to respond to this message. Hear the word, believe the word, declare the word. It breaks the cycle. It breaks the pattern. It sets you free. Father, I I pray that this revelation would get deep inside of us today, Lord. And it would confront those patterns of thinking. It would confront mindsets that differ from your will and your word, God. Lord, and it would bring freedom just like your word declares it would. So, Father, right now I just speak freedom over your people today, Lord. I speak freedom over them, God, over their minds, over the way they've been thinking about life, over the way they've thought about their own story. I'm reminded right here in this moment about the guy that had a sickness. He had some sort of sickness in the Pharisees. They came to Jesus and they said, How did this man get like this? Who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus said, neither. This is so that the glory of God can be revealed. Some of you, you have lived your life on a wild goose chase trying to figure out who's responsible for your past. This is the word of the Lord to you today. That doesn't matter. What matters is this deliverance is so that the glory can go to God. Father, do that in Jesus' name. Deliverance, power, breakthrough now in Jesus' name. Set us free, Lord, in our thinking. God, set our minds free today to follow and obey your will and your word. Come on, just begin to open up your mouth right now and declare the goodness of God. He's already done the work. He's already done the work. The Bible says that we've, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood has already been spilled. He's already done the work on the cross. You don't need Jesus to do anything else for you. He has already done enough to set you free. All you've got to do now is begin to open your mouth and declare who you know you are in Christ. I am an overcomer. I am the head and not the tail. I am blessed in the city and blessed in the field. I am blessed and highly favored. I'm an anointed child of God. My past has no power over me. It has no control over me. 
over me. The voice of the accuser is getting dimmer and dimmer. And the voice of my Savior is getting louder and louder because of who I am in Christ Jesus. My future is already determined. The will of God has already been established. I am made and remade in the image of Christ Jesus. He's got a plan and a hope for my future. And it's to prosper me. It's good. Every curse is broken in Jesus' name. Whatever my family did before I came along is broken in Jesus' name. There's a new bloodline that's been established after the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Every generational curse that's ever held my family in bondage, it does not apply to me because I've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, when you begin to declare the truth about who you are, Satan has to leave. He has to flee from you. He sets you free in Jesus' name. Come on, Mark, lead us in this song. And just make these declarations in faith today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.